Hi guys, this is Mag, and welcome back to You Don't Wanna Know. Thanks for tuning back into the pod. So I'm just gonna kinda jump right into this and let you guys know that this is a very, 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 very rough one, uh, but it's an important story that needs to be told, and that's why I'm here. But I will get into that very soon. I just want to kind of tell you guys about the movie I saw. I think I said it in my last podcast, but I watched Barbarian. And I was so excited to watch this movie because I still did not learn his name. But he's the guy that played the main character in Accepted. He was the high schooler in Dodgeball. And I can never forget, he was the main character in the movie Tusk with somehow they got Johnny Depp to be a part of it. So I was super excited because I don't know why I love him so much, but I just, I really do. I love that guy. And it was a little bit of a slow start. Oh, also the, I think it's a Gustafsson. That's his last name. Um, He played It or Pennywise, I should say, in It. I think he's kind of dreamy. So I was excited for him to be in that movie. It was a little slow to start off, I will say, like the first, ooh, it was like 45 minutes, so it took a minute, but it, it still had a couple things here and there, but it was just very subtle, but once once the ball was rolling, it was really, really going for it, because holy cow, it's really interesting, I like when there's no, I guess, um, hidden agenda in movies where it's like trying to push something on you. Um, And I think I told you about how the Black Mirror had that too, where it was just like, oh, just about the movie. So it was really, really crazy and interesting. I really enjoyed it. So 10 out of 10 recommend, guys. Like, definitely go watch that movie if you can. I think it was on Peacock. Super bummed I didn't get to see it in theaters, but, you know, can't win them all. Also, happy late Turkey Day. Happy Thanksgiving. That was yesterday for me, but I did not get to partake in that because... I got a horrible stomach virus or something. I don't really know what it was, but I went to a friend's giving and I don't know what I had, but I like released all the content in my stomach, not the good content. Uh, So I didn't get to eat anything except I want to say like five crackers and that wasn't until last night. So I didn't get to have any good Thanksgiving food, so super bummed out. Finally got to have my apple or my pumpkin pie this afternoon, so that was great. But yeah, so I hope everyone else had a great um, Thanksgiving, better than mine, hopefully. And now what we're here for, this very, very tragic case. So <laughs> let's get really uncomfortable because this one, like I said, is horrible. Like it was not the easiest thing to research but her story deserves to be told because what I didn't say in the beginning what I was going to say was this case is Susan Caper and she unfortunately was overshadowed by the horrible disgusting nasty just downright awful case and awful people of the Moores murders um it was around the same time So no one really ever heard about her case or her story or anything. And it's just so sad. So sit tight, buckle up, get uncomfortable because this is Susan Caper, her case. So she was born September 1st of 1976 in the 
Great Manchester, England. She had a mom named Elizabeth Dunbar. She had two older siblings, Michelle and John, but she didn't know her father, so they were whole siblings. But the father had walked out just before she was born, so she had never met him. Her mom remarried to John Caper, which is where the last name comes from. And honestly, from what I saw, John sounded pretty good. Like, who knows in these situations? But he sounded like he really loved her and cared for her and wanted the best for her. So, like, that's something, I guess. But this is just such a sad story. Uh, So she, her parents got divorced and her mom just kind of left her. And she actually stayed with the stepfather. Her older sister, Michelle, also lived there. But her mom just kind of didn't seem like she was a huge part of her life. She just kind of left her. And she knew where her mom was and everything like that. But they just didn't have a good relationship, I guess. It's kind of hard to read because this was so long ago. So Susan was described as high-spirited and kind to everybody, helpful, just a great Honestly, great person all around. Seemed really cool. And she just wanted to be loved. And I totally get that. I'm sure just about every girl out there kind of gets that where it's like they just want to find a guy and feel loved. And they see all these movies that are just totally unrealistic and just bring up your high expectations. So she just wanted that love, you know, and she never really got that, unfortunately, what she was looking for, at least. So she started looking at uh, for it in other places. And at 16, she started skipping school. It just got kind of worse and worse and worse. And it all kind of hit a tipping point when she met, or I should say, started hanging out with again, Jean Powell. So Jean was actually her old babysitter who was 26 at the time. And Susan was 16. So already big winner. But I shouldn't say that because sometimes when you have a friend, like an old friend, you can hang out with them any age. But that's not the case for this chick because this chick sucks. So the whole family knew who Jean was. Uh, Michelle had actually lived, and Michelle's Susan's sister, Michelle had lived with Jean for about two months. And this was before they like kind of reconnected. She had to leave because the horrible activities that were going on at the house, they were all just like criminal activities but she just she was like no not for me so she left um jean was not great for susan to say the least so i told you guys how susan was skipping school well jean convinced susan to completely skip school and go to work instead which can be good in some cases but in this case jean also convinced susan to give her the money that jean was making so I think it's safe to say this one's not a good choice um, on Jean's part, but it was just not a good situation. So they lived in a house on Langworthy Road and, well, I should say um, Jean does. And Jean had a friend named Bernadette. They called her Bernie. She actually moved in with Jean. Uh, Bernadette had a house down the road and she had, I think, two kids, I want to say, or three, two or three. Um, and they just decided that it would be better to live together. All Everyone lived together. So she was in the house, too. It was Jean and Bernadette. And they were just so horrible, so, so horrible to Susan. And it, 
it was just like a mean girl friendship where like they would hang out with her just to like let her leave and talk crap about her and you know just make fun of her and Susan just wanted that love I guess from friends and from a significant other that she put up with it and she actually did like whatever they wanted. I did find in one source that Susan's mom came to or like found out that Susan was spending a lot of time there at that house so she confronted Jean and Jean threatened to burn down the house but I did only find that in one source and the whole thing was kind of like giving praise to the mom and making her seem so much better than every other place I've read so I don't really I wouldn't put too much worth into that one but it just shows that that's not a great place to be so like I said they would hang out uh, at the house on Langworth Road and it was referred to as the evil house there were rumors about there being like drugs being weighed out in the kitchen and cars would be stolen and they would trade the stolen cars and that's just what like was heard there was nothing like there was no person specifically there saying like oh this is also what happened so that's just the stuff people knew about like I can't even imagine what what, like they were trying to hide if that was public knowledge you know so there were a few other characters in this picture so there was Gene Powell and if that last name sounds familiar that would be I said Gene Powell oh my gosh Glenn Powell so spoiler alert as I was leading to in a second ago um, that's Gene's ex-husband who was convicted of burglary theft and drunken disorderly he is 29 and he is obviously like I said Gene's ex-husband but he's still part of this big Brady bunch then there's Bernadette McNeil and she was a drug addict mother of three she was 24 and then there's anthony dudson he's 17 and he was jeans on and off again boyfriend so great start great start and then there's jeffrey lay or lee he was convicted of robbing an 86 year old disabled woman and get this it was his aunt so he is really killing it he's 26 and then there's Clifford Hayes. He was 18 and he's Jean's brother. So luckily she draws the line at incest, I think, I would hope. And Susan's ex-boyfriend. So that's the Brady Bunch we're working with. Now, like I said, people knew the reputation of that house. So her dad, Susan's dad and sister, would try and keep her away from those people because they just knew it wasn't a good place it wasn't a good place. But they didn't really know how bad it was. Her sister is actually quoted in saying, it's not that she was scared of them. It's just that she would do any for th- anything for them. She pampered their every whim. And that just kind of goes into them just being mean girls or mean guys, mean people. And taking advantage of her because she just was looking for some kind of loving relationship. So that just sucks. So for as hard as her sister and her dad tried to keep her away from that place, they said that Susan was just very hard-headed and kind of did what she wanted. And she's also 16. And I feel like when you're 16, you kind of just do the opposite of what everyone tells you to do. Because like that's just who you are when you're a kid, I guess. And unfortunately, she kept going over there. And it was just so bad. One time, uh, Susan actually ran to her mom's house and she was beaten up 
completely beaten up. And she asked if she could stay the night with her mom. And her mom said no because her boyfriend, quote-unquote, wouldn't approve. So she had to go back to the evil house. Another source said, and that this is like the one that makes the mom out to be a hero. Um, it said that the mom said to wait a day so she could make the place look nice. But who knows if that's true. <laughs> if one place got it right and everyone else was wrong. But... Um, After this whole fact, Michelle looks back and says that if Susan or if the mom would have helped Susan, she believed that there would be a different outcome. And like she doesn't know how her mom lives with herself, essentially, because that's just such a heavy thing to deal with being a mother. After her mom turned her away, unfortunately, she went back to that evil, evil house and went back with those people. And on December 7th, things went horribly, horribly wrong. Um, December 7th, 1992, those people, those nasty, nasty people, lured Susan to the house by saying there was the guy that she liked at the house and he wanted to see her. And what was really going on was they were luring Susan into Punisher because they all had pubic lice. Yeah, disgusting. And they blamed Susan. They said that Susan stole one of the girl's pink duffel coats, gave it back, and it was infected with lice. So one person got it and then everyone got it. But in reality, everyone was sleeping with everyone and I'm guessing that house was not very clean. So that's probably how they got it. But they wanted to blame someone. So they blamed Susan and they were going to punish her for it. So this is when it gets really heavy, guys. So if you thought you could handle it, maybe if you're sensitive, don't because this is this is rough. This is a rough one. So like I said, they lured her back because they wanted to punish her. They blamed Susan because she was the punching bag. They said that a guy she liked was at the house and wanted to hang out. So Susan went because those were supposed to be her friends. Once she was there, she got ambushed right away. People pushed her down and Glenn shaved her head and her eyebrows. Then he put a bag over her head and walked her around while hitting her in the head with some kind of wooden object until she passed out from no air. Once she woke up, they made her shave her pubic hair and this was kind of like a some stupid way of saying like oh we had to shave ours now you have to shave yours just something really really stupid everyone was just so nasty at the in the group that they would take turns torturing her they would beat her with a belt or this large wooden spoon that was just for like decoration and they would all laugh while doing it and at one point they had beaten her so badly that she had completely lost mobility in her arms and it turns out that they broke her arms at the end of the day they locked her in a cupboard in the home and she was just screaming screaming and here's the sick part this part like really boils my blood Jean and Bernadette were worried that there's six children that lived in the house that this woman was being tortured in would hear the cries and get disturbed which they did and they were upset 
So they moved her into Bernadette's old house that was abandoned. Like, how disgusting. How could you have a child or multiple children and choose to torture this child who is 16? Like, oh gosh, I just want to punch him in the face. Boiling right now. Just so upsetting. So like I said, they moved her to that empty home and they put her on an old bed and chained her limbs spread eagle so it was just spread apart and they put a sock in her mouth to keep her quiet they never let her go to the bathroom so she had to sit in her own filth and fecal matter this is like just super psychological and just horrible they forced her to listen to rave songs and this is like super messed up songs from the Chucky movie because I don't know. I don't understand that. But like I don't I don't even know. I don't know how to like make sense of that. Like the it's just horrible. Horrible. And it's a lot of a lot of other cases talk about that where they have their victims listen to loud music and it might be to disorient them. But I think this was more I don't I don't even want to give them that credit. I I think it was just to hurt her. They played it really loud in her ears. And at first I thought it was maybe because she might be afraid of dolls, but I think it's because that movie just came out and they thought it, they were like cool for doing it or something, but they also played her sections of the movie too. So I don't know what that was about, but it was just ridiculous. And they would like taunt her saying, Chucky's coming to play and they would play the movie. So it was just so stupid. I think, I think the movie did scare her and they were playing on that. So not only did they do the torture with the music and the movie, they also burned cigarettes on her skin and injected her with amphetamines. Like I said, her arms were broken. And at one point, a teen, David Hill was his name, he came and saw her and what they were doing. And he just left. They let him go. He came because I guess they wanted him to see or something like that. And he walked out and just didn't tell anyone. And he later said that he didn't do it or didn't say anything because he was worried that they were going to come after him too. But like, I don't know how you could live with that on your conscience after hearing what happens and just seeing that. Like, that's just so messed up. It just bothers me a lot. But they put her in the bathtub after all this because she was starting to smell pretty bad. Um, they put her in a bathtub with disinfectant and they scrubbed her skin with these like really, really stiff brushes and they did it so hard that her skin started to come off. And like, I get annoyed when like someone rubs or something rubs the same spot on my like leg or something. So I can't even imagine what it would feel like to just go back and forth, back and forth with this horrible scrubber. So it's just horrible. And then I didn't even think about this. But that's opening her skin and she's in disinfectant. That's got to burn so bad. Oh my gosh. This poor lady. Oh, poor Susan. And I wish I could say that it was the end of it, but it doesn't. It's just, oh, guys, it's so bad. So they were still torturing her. They were still laughing at her. And at one point, one of the guys wanted to pull out her teeth for no reason. No reason at all. So, this is hard, guys. This is really hard. First, he hits her in the face with a pair of pliers. 
And then he starts yanking and pulling your head back until a tooth broke off. So he's trying again. He's hitting her with pliers a little bit more. And then he's yanking and pulling her head forward with such force. And one tooth came out. So he did it again. I think he did it about four times. And he was laughing the entire time. The entire time. Just disgusting. So, so horrible. On December 14th, Susan was declared missing. And those people saw that on TV and they decided to get rid of her. To get rid of a human being. Like, I just don't even know how you can think that. Like, just take away a life. How, do, how does that come into your mind? I just don't get that. Whew. I'm, I'm burning, guys, but almost done. Gotta tell her story. Okay. So, December 14th, they make her get into the boot of a Fiat car, which a boot is the trunk of a car, and she was completely naked. They drove into a woods into wood like wooded area in Stockport and they pushed her down a hill that had like a bunch of thorns and branches so she got really cut up um they poured fuel all over her and this is so so stupid they're so dumb they couldn't even light um the lighter like they were having such a hard time with it um but eventually Jean got one to light and she threw it on Susan and started her on fire And these sick, sick, sick people started laughing and singing, burn, baby, burn, as they walked away. (sighs) Gosh, I just want to punch them. I want to punch them so hard in the face. Like, how is that funny? How does that make you laugh? How can you be so sick and so depraved? Like, oh. So, this poor, poor, poor Susan was so much stronger than they thought because she was a bad bee and was not giving up because she is a freaking warrior. Once they were gone, she managed to walk up that hill that they pushed her down and go a mile and a half down the road to find help where she eventually found Barry Sutcliffe, I think is how you say his name, and he was with some co-workers on the way to work. And they found her and brought her to the nearby home of Michael and Margaret Coop, who called 911, or whatever it is in England. I think it's like, I don't even know what it is. But they called for help. And this is like another just heart-melting part. The men said that she was so polite and just kept thanking them for helping her. And... Margaret, she kept trying to like comfort her, but she just couldn't be touched because she was so burned. The guys said that her arms looked like char, just completely char, and her legs were just like red flesh. Like you could see the muscle essentially. Well, that's the way I interpret it, but I don't know if that's actually what it was, but they just looked like red, like there was no skin left on it, just disgusting. And she couldn't touch her legs. Like, no one could touch her legs. Um, the woman kept trying to put her arm around her, Margaret, but she just couldn't couldn't have anyone touch her. She made it to the hospital and was only able to be identified by a partial thumbprint because everything else was just gone. Like, she 
got so badly burned everywhere. She was able to identify all of the people involved in the crime, all the abusers, and the address. And then unfortunately, she did slip into a coma. The doctors said that she had a collapsed lung and superficial burns, but still, like, (laughs) burns. All across 80% of her body. So that's part why they could barely identify her. And she was in that coma for three days before passing, and she never woke up. So the police went and searched the house, and they found a garbage bag with Susan's hair, teeth, and bloody pliers. So after they got the evidence, they pulled, they arrested all those people. And at first, no one really talked at all. But eventually, Anthony, um, he started to, he started to like speak up because his dad convinced him to tell the truth. And once Anthony started talking, everyone started talking, and they all just kind of blamed each other in true fashion. So Jean said that she wasn't the one to set her on fire. She actually waited in the car, and that she thought of Susan as his sister, and that's why she locked her in the cupboards to protect her. And she said she hated violence, and she would never even spank her kids. So screw you. Then there's Bernadette, who said she held the gas. But Anthony took the gas before they lit her on fire. So, and she also injected her with amphetamines instead of heroin, which I don't know much about drugs, but I think both of them are pretty bad. So, screw you, Bernadette. And then Anthony said that Glenn set Susan on fire. So, screw both of you. All horrible people. And I'm not at all surprised that they started turning on each other. So the um, trial took 22 days, and at the end, Judge Francis Potts called the murders as appalling a murder as it is impossible to imagine. So they were charged with false imprisonment and intention to cause grievously grievously bodily harm. He sentenced Jean Powell, Bernadette McNeely, and Glenn Powell to life in prison, with a minimum of 25 years. Jeffrey Lay was sentenced to 12 years and Anthony Dudson was detained indefinitely with a minimum of 18 years because he was a minor. Uh, Clifford uh, Hayes was sentenced to 15 years. um, And in 2012, Jean's uh, sentence was actually reduced by two years because she showed remorse and... um, rehabilitation because she prevented a jail escape which like I don't know if I would call that remorse but honestly it's probably just like more torture like there she wants them to be in a miserable state like she is so she stopped the escape or maybe they weren't like letting her be included in the plan or some crap like that so whatever um let's see remember how I said the whole Moore's murders was happening in this time well, Bernadette McNeely allegedly had a romance with Myra frickin' Henley while behind bars. So gag me with a fork. Disgusting. I just have no words. They're just completely trash. And unfortunately, Bernadette McNeely, Jeffrey Lay, and Clifford Hayes have been released since. But that was the story of Susan Caper who fought until the very end and oh gosh it's just such a hard story but it's so important 
to hear and to tell. So thank you guys so much for sticking around if you did and listening to Susan's story. I know it was a really rough one, but she just, she deserves to be spoken about and she should not be overshadowed by just disgusting human beings. If you can even call that just disgusting, vile skin sacks of a person. Just, ugh, disgusting. Myra Henley and Ian Brady and then all these nasty people who honestly, I don't even think those, the Moores people don't even get to be named. Like the two murderers, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't have even said their names. And these people do not get their names read again because that's how just, oh, that's so, ups- mm, I can't even talk. I can't even talk. That's how upset I am right now after re-going over this case. It just, it's so infuriating but it's so important. So once again, thanks guys so much for listening still. I appreciate it. If you want to see some pictures that I'll post on Facebook, it's YDWK podcast. If you want to look at Instagram, if that's easier, it's YDWK podcast on Instagram. Otherwise, if you have some case suggestions, um, something spooky to tell me, a story, anything, you can send me an email at ydwkpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening. Have a great Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.